welcome to Side Alpha Leadership, a podcast where leaders can share their experiences and discuss what leadership means to them. I'm your host, David Polikoff. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's edition of Side Alpha Leadership Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, David Polikoff. Uh, today, uh, I had the pleasure of speaking to a friend and uh, neighbor of mine, uh, Clay Anderson. Clay, welcome to the show, and uh, tell everybody that's listening a little bit about yourself. Hey, awesome. Hey, I just want to first, uh, say, first of all, thanks for having me. So a little quick background. I've been on active duty now for just, just under 18 years. Uh, I've been a lot of places and had the opportunity to see a lot of things thanks to my service. Uh, I've had the fortunate opportunity to lead some uh, pretty amazing people and some amazing teams, both stateside and while deployed. I've also sat as a, a president co-founder of a wounded veteran nonprofit organization for a period of time. Uh, right now, I'm currently working on my master's degree in strategic leadership, and uh, hopefully I can uh, get that done before uh, I retire here in a few years. Uh, other than that, I'm just excited to be here. Well, <coughs> excuse me, glad that uh, glad you're here. And, and um, as you know, being the side alpha leadership, we talk all about uh, the different aspects of leadership and how it uh, affects um, everyday life, be it, uh, you know, business world, the military world, fire rescue, police. Um, and then kind of we see how they intersect with each other and how that uh, even though if somebody's in the military, in the fire department or the police department or, or even in the business world, how those uh, lines of leadership uh, intersect with each other and how uh, we can learn from uh, one another and apply those leadership uh, traits and uh, lessons that we've learned along the way to any aspect in life. So uh, so let's uh, go ahead and dive right into it. So uh, what kind of topics did you want to talk about today? Yeah. So, you know, I was thinking about this, you know, over the course of my career in the military, I've definitely learned a lot in regards to leadership. You know, as a junior enlisted, uh, it was watching the good and the bad leaders, what what to do and what not to do. As I grew up in the ranks, I learned a lot about leadership firsthand through my own successes, but also, I think more importantly, my own failures. And I think that experience is a really important key uh, thing. Actually, I have a, a favorite saying of mine that's a, a smooth sea never made for a skilled sailor. Uh, and, you know, I've also learned a lot through my own professional development uh, that's given that has been given to me through the military because they just do a, a great opportunity, a great job in providing a lot of different opportunities for leadership training. Uh, also through my own educational degree and background. Uh, but I think the most impactful has been through the mentors and friends alike within the military community uh, that I've grown up with that have given me an abundance amount of advice. And that, uh, I think, by far has certainly been my, my biggest resource. With that being said, uh, I've certainly developed my own quote-unquote list of things that I would offer to anyone who has any interest in becoming a leader or, if they already are, uh, becoming a better leader. So I thought I'd go through some of those for this podcast and kind of see where it goes. That that sounds good. Now, uh, real quick, I want to want to touch on a couple of things before we, we move into the topics. Uh, when you enlisted, were you did you enlist at a high school or did you enlist at a college? No, I enlisted straight out of high school. So I was actually I actually had a contract uh, for the Navy uh, before I was a senior in high school. So it was the the summer break period. Uh, you can go into what was called the delayed entry program for up to twelve months. Uh, and so I'd already uh, went and talked to a recruiter, got my contract, and then did my senior senior year in high school. And then the next month after I graduated, I was shipped off. And through that, obviously, you uh, you gained your college degree along the way, and then you entered into the uh, you went from a non commissioned officer into a commissioned officer, or are you still in like the non commissioned ranks? Yeah, I'm in the uh, enlisted ranks. Uh, I'm a senior chief petty officer. It's an E eight. Um, I've definitely worked. Uh, you know, through from E2 to E8 over the course of, uh, you know, my time in service. Now, how hard was it for you to get your degree uh, while you were working full time for the military uh, versus somebody that would have come out with a degree? Sure. Uh, you hear a lot of stories that, you know, people that come right out of college and, and then they, they enlist into the military and they automatically get that 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 officer 
uh, commissioned officer, right. you know, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm not in the military. This is just what I've heard versus somebody who's actually kind of been in the trenches a little bit, no pun intended, and been able to work themselves up, get their college degree and then move on to um, into the ranks of commissioned officer where it, does it seem that, that you're a little more respected when you come through the ranks than you go through your officer's class or when you come right out of college and then you join uh, as an officer, what, what's been your experience? What have you seen? Well, I, I'd first start off by saying uh, the Navy, uh, you know, as I can speak to the Navy, the Navy does a, a tremendous job in providing off-duty educational opportunities. We have a, a couple ways to do so, right? We have the uh, the Montgomery GI Bill, or now it's called the Post-9-11 um, GI Bill, uh, which you can, uh, you know, you have a certain amount of uh, funds in order to support your uh, educational desires, but while you're active duty, we have tuition assistance, which, uh, for me, not, I've done my associates, my bachelor's, and now I'm halfway through my master's and I have not dropped a dime on, uh, education at all. It's all been covered under the tuition assistance program. Well, that's, that's awesome. And the, and the reason why I wanted to stray off a little bit, cause I want people out there that listen to this, that, that understand that, um, college is expensive and, uh, you know, instead of, you know, if money's tight and you, you, you want to go to school, being enlisting in the military and then having them pay for your education, yeah, you're going to have to get give back to the military. But what you get out of is an education that the United States government pays for, and that makes you a better uh, enlisted person, be it in, in the Army, Navy, Air Force, or Marines. And it allows you to get that education without having that burden of being saddled with that that uh, that bill that's going to come due once you graduate. So I don't think there's any more thing anybody can do that's nobler than to serve the public, be it in as a public service or as in the military. So my hat's off to you, and, and I wanted to get that out there because I want people to understand that you don't have to get right out of high school and then go try mm. to find a four-year college. You can enlist in the military, and it doesn't necessarily mean that just because you didn't have a college degree doesn't mean you can't get one while you're in the military. And then you may find that, you know what, this is a great career. I'm going to sink 25, 30 years into the military, give back to what they've given me. And then when you leave, Mm -hmm. especially when you start when you're 18, you do 30 years, you're in your very early 50s, if not late 40s. You can go get another career somewhere, and, and those skills that you learn in the military are valuable, and especially the leadership stuff. So I wanted to kind of throw that yeah, out absolutely. there. absolutely. You know, so, uh, so that's exactly why I joined. Well, that's one of the big reasons why I joined the Navy was uh, I, you know, I couldn't afford I couldn't afford to go to college. College was super expensive, uh, and so my sister and I actually joined on the exact same day because we were both kind of in the same, you know, uh, scenario. And uh, you know, I kind of tease her because she got out after ten years after they call call her (laughs) but uh you know it's been a great opportunity they've given us a lot um you know and you know some tours or some duty stations are easier to get you know assignments or uh take educational courses than others it's a little bit more challenging if you're in a deployable billet and you're going you know forward uh trying to maintain college courses it's not impossible uh people do it all the time uh i for me personally i did the majority of my education uh, off-duty education while I was on shore assignments, and uh, it was it was great. Oh, awesome! So, not trying to hijack the conversation, but I did want to get that out there. You know that the the, co- the opportunity for college is out there. If money's tight, you know the military is looking. You know, not to sound like a cliche commercial, they're looking for good people, and with that, they're going to educate you. So, let's go ahead and dive into some of these topics that you wanted to talk about today, and we'll kind of pick them apart and and, and see how it applies to sure. life and 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 the business world and and just you know personal and professional uh, um, life. Yeah, and as I go through these, I find it really interesting, as you mentioned before, uh, the comparisons to even the fire service. Like the military is really the only thing that I've ever known and experienced because I came right out of high school and went straight to the military. So uh, interested to see uh, your, your take on some of these topics. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so uh, the, the, first, the first one I have, uh, I have some notes here. The first one I have is servant leadership. Uh, for me, you know, leadership is, is not a one-way street. You have to build trust in order to establish a team. It has to be transactional. You can't just take their contributions. You must give back to them. And there's a lot of ways you can do that, uh, you know, f- empowering your people versus micromanaging them. 
I think a, a really big part of that is giving them ownership. I have a great recent recent example of this, uh, but to get to that, I have to tie in a few other empowering tools real quick. And uh, you know, that is the being mindful of the environment that you set, and not just hearing but listening. I, I can explain more in a second. But uh, as the story goes, you know, there were a few enlisted, uh, junior enlisted that had a concern about something at work. Uh, because of the environment that was created by the leadership, those junior personnel were comfortable bringing up a concern. So that might not sound like a big deal, but it is. To a junior sailor, to a junior employee, talking to a person of authority can be intimidating. It can be difficult. It can be scary. Uh, but in, in this particular environment, the leadership had an established culture that made sailors comfortable in doing that. So the person in charge uh, heard their concern, and they did. this person did something that I think is right out of the leadership playbook. He gave them uh, the ownership to fix it. So he set out a framework, which uh, in this particular case was, you know, this is at the end of the day, this is the end result that I want you guys to produce, and here's a timeline in which to do it in. But pushed all of the creative development to them. So that meant the absolute world to these sailors, and it showed in their actions. Uh, they went to great lengths to research uh, the, the topic, uh, to talk to all of those involved, to get insight on what was going on, and also to develop several feasible courses of action to overcome this concern that they brought up. So I had the uh, – this is a while ago, but I had the opportunity to, to be there uh, when they briefed uh, this, this leader. And let me tell you, their passion – uh, the knowledge that they gained through that process and their professionalism in doing so, especially for such junior personnel, was absolutely incredible. So think about that. You know, like these sailors, junior sailors, first and foremost, were empowered to bring truth to power, which uh, I have a little bit more about that in, in a second. And then after giving them ownership of the solution, they brought forward great solutions for the organization. Now, think of the secondary and tertiary effects of that. Who in the organization saw what, what happened, saw that the leadership uh, you know, was engaging and, and gave them the opportunities and is now empowered? Who in the organization now has trust in the leadership that they not only hear, but they, but they care? So that, I think this is a great example on how the best ideas also are not restricted by rank or position. Um, you know, sometimes the, the best ideas can come from the most junior person. And as a leader, if you go into a room and think that you are the smartest person, you have already lost. Uh, and to me, all of this builds trust, uh, and trust is certainly, in my opinion, a cornerstone of effective leadership. It's funny, you know. <clears throat> we're gonna, you know, how we talk about. We're gonna tie this in um, with, you know, like you. <clears throat> I've been in the fire department. And one fashion or other, since I was 12 years old, you know, started as a junior wow. member. And uh, I got hired when, like, right out of high school. I was 18 years old. And, and then I went to college while I was also in, in the fire service. Um, but some things that I learned along the way, everything that you're talking about is stuff that I've been bringing up to to my captains and to the people uh, that that uh, I work with, uh, including, you know, from the, the juniors, firefighters, all the way up to my captains. And one of the things, you know, I like to talk about, we call them kitchen table talks. And, and I tell everybody, the kitchen table is the great equalizer. Everybody at the kitchen table has a voice. Everybody has a chance to uh, air some concerns as long as everything's done with respect. Um, and that's kind of what I want from my people is I want them to be able to be comfortable to say to the captain, hey, uh, we don't like this, uh, we'd like to change this, or we don't understand why this is happening, we don't think it's right for uh, the situation. Um, and to be able to, when we sit at the kitchen table, to, to lean over to me and just say, hey, chief, um, why do we have to do it this way? Um, and what I challenge my people to do is I said, you can always bring me a problem but you have to have a solution with it. Anybody can just come into my office and start talking about problems. But bring me a solution. And one of the things that you talked about is how you know you can't always have the uh, the captains and the lieutenants or, or, or the, the senior leadership coming up with all the solutions because what ends up happening is it becomes stale. If mm -hmm. one person is constantly coming up with all the solutions, you're kind of missing the boat of who's out there. And, and one of the things that I've said about the fire service is that the new people that are coming in 
are super smart. You know, they they've they've they are in an era where they have never known what it's not like to have a cell phone or what it's not like to have a computer. You know, when I came in, we had uh, like one computer for our whole battalion. We didn't have cell phones, um, so they've got everything at the palm of their hand. So they're coming in pretty smart. So to be able to tap these new people and ask them a question, or even if as a as a leader, you have noticed that there's an issue, take it to the guys. What do you guys think mm-hmm. about this? How would you solve this? And then let that conversation kind of go. So so the stuff that you're talking about, we're, we're moving into that in the fire service as well. And I'm sure it's not just um, in the fire service, but the huge thing is, is that you got to take the ego out of it. Just because you have the collar pins or just because you are the highest ranking person, again, like you said, you're not the smartest person in the room. Yeah, and that kind of goes into another piece that I'll talk about here a little bit about humility. But uh, yeah, you know, bringing, you know, allowing people to solve those problems, it just brings their ability to have ownership in, in the problem. Uh, and that, you know, if you don't have ownership, then why am I here? Uh, and that's such a powerful tool. I agree. And I think that sparks enthusiasm too. Now the guys are really, you know, like, Hey, you know, the chief says that, uh, you know, he's going to allow us to solve these issues and, and you get that buy-in and then the morale starts to creep up. You know, people aren't going to feel stale. So I think that's huge. Yeah, you know, with all these things, you know, when you mentioned the morale uh, as a secondary effect, you know, all these characteristics of good leadership, if implemented the right way, one thing or another thing, it has these second and tertiary effects that can positively impact the organization, the mission, the command, whatever the case is, uh, simply because you, you know, for example, you gave them the opportunity to take ownership of a problem. Now, when you first came in, was this happening or is this something that's evolving in the military now as, as you are putting in more time? Mm, that's a good question. I, I definitely have seen uh, evolve more over time uh, than when I first came in. I, not to say that when I first came in that that didn't happen. It most certainly did happen. Uh, but the, you know, for me right now as a leader in the military, I know uh, I can go down to somebody and it's not a, not a not common thing for that to happen to say, hey, this is the problem. There's something that's going on right here. Uh, I, I want you to fix it, uh, but you, you be creative. Uh, at the end of the day, this is what I want, uh, just like in that example uh, and giving people ownership. Um, yeah, I think, I think it happens a little bit now more than it did before, but it, you know, not to say that it was absent before. You know, it's funny. We had an issue <clears throat> with uh, the new fire engines that we had coming in, and we had a um, we have netting on the back. It's part of an NFPA uh, requirement where we have to have some netting on the back that keeps the hose from coming out and and, and uh, you know harming property or, or people. And they were having a problem getting this netting to drop down when we arrive on a call, you know, we have to lay hose on the street and put it on, around a hydrant and go. And they were having a problem getting this, this netting right. And they, they were working on this problem, I would say for a couple of months. So I just happened to be up at our maintenance facility and, and, uh, the, the guy that, that, uh, the assistant chief that's uh, responsible for that maintenance is a very good friend of mine. I've known him for many years. And I said, I looked at him and I said, Pete, I said, if you want this problem solved, I said, what you should do is go to a firehouse and say, yeah, we've got this real problem with this netting and there's no way we can solve it. We just, mm-hmm. there's, there's no answer out there. You know, there, the, we don't know how to solve this problem. It just can't be done. And then leave. <laughs> I said, you'll be surprised how many, uh, different prototypes and different, um, uh, solutions you'll have to that problem by telling a firefighter, yeah, you can't do that. It's just, it just can't be done they're going to find a way to do it. So that's, you know, that little bit of reverse psychology. And, and lo and behold, they did come up with the solution and, and uh, we're using it today. So do you use that? Have you ever had to use that type of, of, of solution just to go in and just say like, yep, this is a problem that we just can't tackle. So, uh, you know, we're just going to have to leave it as it is. I know everybody doesn't like it. Or do they oh, just going to come to you right away and say, this is terrible. This sucks. This is how we want to fix it. Oh, no, I, I definitely have an example. In fact, uh, my next piece here, I was going to talk about uh, just something about that, you know, uh, going back to servant leadership. And, you know, you can't you can't be a servant leader if you don't have awareness of who your people are. Uh, you know, you have to know what their motive, what motivates them, what drives them, what uh, they are good at outside of work. What's their educational background? What makes them tick? What are their goals? You know, in the Navy, we have a term for this. It's called deck plate leadership. Uh, knowing all of this can help you help them 
uh, and also help the organization in so many ways. So this is one time, uh, you know, we had a guy that was uh, in his off-duty time was pursuing a degree in computer programming. He was a he was so smart when he came to computers and can do anything you you asked him to. Well, the division had a need to develop a, a, a better method to track a whole bunch of administrative requirements for all of their all of their people. So knowing this, um, he knowing that he had a passion for this, the chain of command gave him the problem set and asked him for you know whatever possible solution based off of his technical background. And this wasn't in line with what he was assigned to do in the military. This was just a passion that he did off to the side and what she was pursuing a, an, edu- an educational degree for. Uh, man, let me tell you, he not only took on the task, but he owned it. He developed this huge comprehensive computer tool that was not only easy to use and fix the problem, but he was empowered. His morale instantly, instantly went up. The division operated more smoothly, and he just thirsted for more opportunities uh, elsewhere. So uh, it was it was great. Um, yeah, it was a good example. I think that uh, you know seeing, or uh, you know to not wear out the word, but to empower your people, just to, to say like, hey guys, I want you to solve this problem. Come to me with some solutions. Here's your like you said. Here's your parameters. Here's your timeline. Um, come to me with what you have, even if it's a rough draft, and then we can go from there. And I think when when the more buy-in you get, and the 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 product starts to look really good, and then you actually see it implemented, <clears throat> the guys knowing that they had their fingerprints on that, and they were Absolutely. responsible to put a piece of something together that is being used. Uh, whether it be across the entire, you know, Navy or being used in the firehouse, you know, across all three shifts or across the entire department or battalion. Um, that, again, it goes back to that, you know, it builds the morale. Um, they're going to thirst for wanting to do more projects, especially if they know that you have the faith in them uh, as their leader to to come up with a problem. And that also starts to bring in a little bit of pride. You and I talked about pride. There's a couple of different types of pride. There's some bad yeah. pride and good pride, mm-hmm. but it brings the good pride out where you can actually, as a leader, start bragging about your people to the other battalions and platoons or what have you, and maybe bring those people along to say, like, well, we want to be everybody as good as them, or listen listen to Clay. He's he's boasting about his people, you know. Our our guys are just as good. And yeah. then maybe that sparks some more, a little bit of competition, but friendly competition. Right. Yeah, you know, one of the things that uh, I've seen that has, over the course of my career, that has always been really effective is when people take over new divisions or departments or even commands, uh, when they come in, I've had this happen before where, you know, the, 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 I was junior enlisted and the chief comes in, brand new chief to the division, and uh, they go, they sit down with the entire division. It's like, hey, this is who I am. I'm coming in. Um, but hey, I really want to sit down and understand what's, what's good and, and what can be improved. So they go over what's good and whatever, uh, and then, well, what can be improved? So now, you know, all these, uh, you know, sailors are able to talk to the incoming chief and tell them, like, these are some things that can be improved. So right off the bat, it, the the chief uh, is telling them that I'm here to listen. I'm here to make things better, uh, but I need your input. I value your opinion. I value your input. Uh, and then it, we, he wasn't just done when the, when he asked them like what can be improved. It was okay. These are all the things that you said uh, that need to be improved. So how do we do this? Over to you. Show me the solution. Uh, and you know, again, people. Well, if they believe and they're passionate about something that needs to be changed and then they're giving the opportunity to actually drive the problem, uh, you know, a great things happen. Yeah. And, and we see the same thing at work. You know, again, it's funny because now my captains will come, they'll knock on the door and they say, look, <clears throat> I don't like bringing you problems, but I have a solution because they already know where I'm going with it. You know, it's like, hey, bring me anything you want to my door, but. Tell me how you want to fix it. Uh, nothing makes me happier for somebody to call up and say, hey, our, our, our ladder truck, uh, the outrigger's uh, sticking on it, and uh, we're not going to be able to run it. It's going to be out of service. I've already called our central maintenance facility, and I've already done the uh, the uh, ticket write-up on it, and we're going to go ahead and, and head on up to CMF right. if you're good with that. All I have to do is like, perfect, thank you. I don't have to make any phone calls. I don't have to make any decisions. All I have to do is make sure that I can support them going and getting that thing fixed. And, and uh, they get buy-in from that. Then they know that they can, they, they have that, that, 
they have the credibility with me that they can uh, make decisions that they feel are what's best for the situation at hand and know that I'll go along with it, providing that it was something that was thought out. Yeah, that's definitely something I learned early in my career is you never bring up a problem to anybody in leadership unless you already have the the solution in your pocket. Right. Because like I said, anybody can bitch and complain, you know, and nobody wants to hear that. But if you bitch and complain and say, but I think I have a way that I can make this better or I can fix it or ease it up a little bit, then you're going to have your leaders that are, they're going to perk up and listen, providing that, right. that their ego is in check. But uh, right. so <laughs> carry on, continue on. Yeah. So, uh, you know, along that, uh, I'll also say that you, you must be able to know your people to understand their baseline, uh, the baseline presence, uh, that going back to the whole deck plate leadership conversation. And if you can do that, uh, you can understand when someone's deviating from their baseline behaviors, then you can really catch those subtle clues on when something isn't right and you can step in. One of the most impactful things I've learned in my service is that more often than not, when someone isn't performing at work, so up until this point is all about people performing, right? But when someone isn't performing, it's usually because of something that is happening outside of the four walls at work. Uh, and I think if you're truly a servant leader and care about your people and moreover help them in all appropriate ways possible, and I would say too, like of note, sometimes they the help that they need isn't always the help that they want, uh, then you are establishing a team and an environment in which people not only want to come to work they're motivated to do their best uh you know as a tool in my in my toolbox uh, so to speak uh I, I like to use the seven layers of why have, have you ever heard this before yes but yeah I love, talk about it because yeah you know i I've, i throw those books out there uh, uh you know you know the, with uh, it starts with why and things like that but but talk about that yeah so um someone told me early on that you know you can't just ask a question and think that's the right or the final answer to really get to the truth of what's going on and what the problem is, you need to ask why at least seven times. Now, granted, it's not always going to be seven times, but the concept is there. You have to continue to pull back the layers to get to the actual core of the truth. When I uh, I, I teach, um, we talk about uh, for promotional exams, we have assessment centers, and uh, there we are always graded on different dimensions in the assessment center. And one of the things that I talk about is, is that uh, you're going to probably somewhere in your career have a have an assessment center that's going to have a one-on-one employee interview who uh, the employee's probably not performing, and you're going to have all the everything that you need in front of you, his personnel file and all that stuff, and you're going to have to be able to kind of wade through everything that's going on by asking questions to probe and find out what's going on to find out what the underlying problem is. And what you had said earlier is, is being able to know your people and that means that you have to actually get out of the office and sit down and talk with them. That's where we talk about these kitchen table talks to know who the people are. So you know when something's not right, they're not performing. Right. It's not because they're lazy or they're a piece of garbage or anything like that. It's because something's happening. And right. as the leader of the organization or the leader of that platoon or that battalion, it's your responsibility to find out what's going on. And if it is an issue, um, like the military, like the fire service, I'm sure the military has many things at their disposal to help with outside Mm -hmm. issues, whether it be personal, financial, mental, um, those things are there. And that's knowing your people. And that's also being that good leader to steer that person in the right direction. And I, I tell my, my captains, you need to know your people. You need to make FaceTime and eye contact in the morning when you're doing your, your uh, morning lineups to make sure that everybody's good. Take a pulse of what's going on on the shift. And if somebody's not acting right, and when they see that you're probing to find out what's going on, then the rest of the people are going to be probing each other. And you may have a firefighter come up and say, hey, Cap, uh, Firefighter Smith... He, he, something's not right. He's just not himself today. That might clue you in to maybe you need to pull him in the office and say, is everything okay? And yeah. uh, you'd be surprised that behind closed doors and people, if people truly believe that you are honest and genuine and that you care about them, they're going to open up and they're going to tell you some stuff, sometimes more yeah. than you want to know, but it's your responsibility to help them. So I think yeah. that's fantastic you know, that you brought that up with the asking the why, especially when it comes to problems, to probe, to find out, you know, I, I try to tell rookies and I tell my kids the same thing. I said, if I tell you no, I'm going to tell you why. I'm not just going to say because I said so. And my my kids will call me on that. You know, when I say, you know, okay, can we do this? No. How come? Because I said so. You always told us you would give you an answer. Yeah. So it's got to be the same way at work as well. 
Yeah, you know, you brought up, you know, knowing your people, but knowing, you know, the different resources and stuff. Uh, you're right. The Navy and the military at large has a ton of resources. If a sailor comes up to me and we identify that there's, you know, financial issues, we have a ton of financial resources and counseling and stuff, people that can, you know, handle that or, or help them uh, or mental health or physical fitness or uh, whatever the case is, the, is, the resources are enormous. And I think, you know, it's not just about knowing your people, but also knowing those resources. So when someone is, is brave and courageous enough to go up to you because you are approachable or should be as a good leader and tell you and open up and say, this is a problem that I'm experiencing right now. Uh, you know how to, you know, what direction to point them in and what resources that you have at your, uh, you know, available to you that you can put them in contact with to help them through it. And I think that also ties into building that trust factor between them. So not only, you know, from their perspective, not only was I able to go approach this person, tell them, open up and tell them what was really going on outside the four walls at work, but they helped me and they gave me resources immediately. That's, uh, and I, I, I'm, I would assume that the military is the same as the fire service. At the end of the day, we want you to succeed. We don't want you to fail. We want you to be the best right. you that you can be. And uh, if you're struggling, we want to be able to help you. Um, right. You know, it may back in the day, you know, back in when we call the war years, back in the, the very early 80s, late 70s, you know, it was one of the, and, and you had a lot of the, the military veterans coming into the fire service, the Vietnam veterans and whatnot, coming into the fire service. And it was all about, you know, you keep your problems to yourself. You take, you, you leave those at home. Um and and nowadays we we don't do that and it's difficult because how complicated life can get it's hard right. to leave stuff at home and it's going to affect your work but knowing that you're approachable or knowing that you know your people and when something's off you can approach your people and they know that they can trust you to keep it confidential and that you're going to give them the help you're genuine yeah you know there was an instance before this was many years ago where there was someone that uh, worked for me that you can just there was you can tell that there was some something going on. Um, we were able to talk to the sailor, uh, came into the office and was able to open up. But we we knew that if we just gave them the resource, that they wouldn't do anything with it. And you know, talking about deck plate leadership and knowing your people, that was a big factor in this. And so part of the, the conversation that we had was, why don't I pick up the phone right now, dial this number, and give you the, give you the phone so you can make the appointment for this mental health uh, appointment uh, versus here's the number, go away, not go away, but here's the number, go make the you know, appointment on your own. And some people that works and some people they will, but we knew in specifically this person would not do that. And so knowing your people, we were able to actually get that person uh, an appointment uh, really quickly, and uh, you know we still gave them the option. It's like here's the number. Let me call it for you, uh, and they were able to do it. And they actually came back at a later date uh, after they definitely got a lot better. And they uh, they even told us like we I would have not had I would have not had called if I left that office without with with just the number. If you guys didn't pick up the phone and call for me, I would have never made that appointment. And that, and, and again, you said it goes back to, to knowing your people and what their strengths and weaknesses are. And, you know, some people we have to spoon feed a little bit and some people we can point them in the right direction right. and they're, they're going to, you know, pick up the baton and move forward. Yeah. So, uh, going into my, uh, my next topic here, if you will. Uh, so that was all servant leadership and I mean, really servant leadership, we could talk all night about, but uh, the, the, the next really big topic that I always love to talk about when it comes to leadership is humility. So, you know, it, if you make a mistake as a leader, uh, you, you have to own up to it. You, you don't deflect it on anyone else. You don't blame the person above you. You don't blame the person below you. You roger up to it and you take ownership in the punishment or consequences that comes with it. Uh, you know, this is obviously just one aspect of humility, but you know, we, we all make mistakes and it happens. But when you don't own it, it sends a very clear message to everyone who has witnessed what happened about your integrity. And in my opinion, integrity is the most important character trait of a leader. Yeah. I agree. We, you know, we talk about reputation, <clears throat> integrity, reputation. Um, it takes 
long time, very long time, years to build up a good reputation, and it only takes a minute to destroy it. Um, Man, you're right. And just the other way around, if if uh, I tell people, I said, you know, if you come off as a new recruit and your reputation is you're a bag of turds, um, <laughs> you're going to have a hard time building your reputation up to being somebody who's not what they thought you were. And I've told people, I said, you know, if you were a piece of garbage um, for five, six years and then you go into a burning building and you rescue five children and it was like a heroic rescue and, and uh, you know, just you were the, the man of the moment. At the end of the day, people are going to look at you and say, yeah, that's that piece of garbage that rescued five children, you know. So it, a reputation is, you know, it's very hard to uh, maintain a strong reputation, but so easy to lose it. And uh, the humility does play a big part of that. And and I try, try to tell my guys, look, it's okay to make mistakes. It's all part of the decision-making process. Um, we put you, we give you the least amount of information and the worst situation for you to make split-second decisions. It's really easy for somebody to come behind you and say, oh, I would have done it this way. So if you make a mistake or it wasn't the best decision, um, we use it as a teaching moment. You know, it's like, hey, here's what we could have done that was a little bit different. What you did worked. Um, this would have made it work a little bit quicker. Same thing as a leader. Like you said, you make a mistake, you got to own it right away. Hey guys, and, and be honest about it and be upfront and, 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 and verbalize it to everybody. I made a mistake. Uh, I was wrong. And, uh, this is how I'm going to move forward from this. So it doesn't happen again. And, right. uh, and, and then make that a teachable moment to your people. I don't want you to, to do this. This is what I did wrong. Learn from what I did and then we can move forward. But yeah, the moment you start to try to blame it up and down the chain of command or start blaming your guys, you've lost them. You're never going to, you're not going to get the promotion and you're not going to get the respect from your guys. Uh, you have to set the example and that if you don't take ownership of your own mistakes, then if, you, if that if that was a leader of mine and I witnessed him or her make a mistake and didn't take ownership and just blamed other people, uh, you know, just, you know, there's a saying, it goes, uh, whatever you set in your presence is your standard or whatever you accept in your presence is your standard. You just told me that it's okay for me to, uh, one, not have any humility, but two, uh, not take ownership at all for any of my mistakes and just blame on everybody else. It's just, it's just a, a toxic characteristic trait, you know? Yeah, and that's what I tell people. I said, you know, you, we measure the strength of your leadership is by what you allow your people to get away with. And uh, if you're not a strong mm -hmm. leader and you let them walk all over you or constantly make mistakes or let them trash the organization or you trash the organization in front of your people, then you're not going to really rise as a leader in the organization. And your people might like you for the time being, you know, maybe for the then and now. But uh, as you move forward, they're going to look back at you and say, that was a pretty negative leader and, and use you as an example of what not to be. So, yeah, yeah. Let, let's continue on with this humility because this plays a huge part, not only as a boss, but, you know, in, in the fire service, in the business world, as well as in, in the military. Yeah. You know, one of the other pieces where I've, I've seen humility come into play a lot uh, and the negative example as I've grown up through the ranks and just seen situations play out is uh, – people or leaders rather saying or trying to show that they know things that they don't. So like we have to acknowledge that, you know, as a leader, you don't know everything. And that, that's the humility piece. Like I understand I'm, I'm a, you know, senior enlisted, but I don't know everything. I've seen this happen over and over again when leaders just can't accept that. And they say whatever, just to save their own pride of not knowing. Uh, you know, obviously this is one little example, but you know, if someone asks you a question, especially one that you should know, you don't shoot from the hip and just say something that isn't right. You, you go look it up and then you provide the answer. I've seen this go foul so many times in my career and the consequences are so much greater than admitting that you don't know something. You know, there's been, uh, a few examples, you know, even forward deployed where, uh, you know, the uh, commanding officer of the unit will, you know, ask the someone of you know, senior enlisted or uh, officer a question. And, uh, you know, they they don't want to look stupid. They don't, you know, they they allow their pride and, and kind of ego to take place and like, oh, yeah, well, I know everything. So I'm going to answer the question, even though I don't know the answer. And then that commanding officer will turn around uh, and go look up the information himself or herself. And then they look it up. And then they see that that leader didn't know what he or her they were talking about. Uh, and so that causes not only a problem, 
with the person or the leader that, you know, posed as knowing something that didn't. Uh, But for every single person, in my opinion, that's underneath them, because now the commanding officer doesn't trust that leader, let alone the people that are under his leadership. Uh, And I've seen that happen way too many times. uh, And it's just it creates problems uh, very quickly. So how, how hard is it just to say to humble yourself and to say, you know what, I, I don't know this, but I'm going to go find the answer to this and I'm going to give you the right answer. Or if even a, of a subordinate comes up to you and says, hey, uh, uh, senior chief, I, what's uh, what's going on with this? Uh, I definitely should know that, but I don't. Hey, what, I'll, I'll take you with me. Why don't we go find the answer together and we can look it up and we can be a teaching moment for the both of us. And that, I think, just empowers the junior sailor just as it much just as much as it did uh, for, uh, uh, you know, for the humility of the leader. Yeah, I think you brought up something with, uh, you know, when your, you know, commanding officer asks you a question, and it's something that you probably should know, and I'm sure the military is every bit as like the fire service when it comes to rules and regs and standard operating procedures. There's books and books and books of them. You cannot possibly know everything. Yeah, you probably should know a lot of the core stuff. But the moment you shoot from the hip and give bad information to your boss, he in, fa- he in turn loses trust in you, and you're going right. to find yourself being micromanaged, and now you're going to start to be pissed off because the boss is micromanaging you. And the reason why he's micromanaging you is because he doesn't trust you because you lied to him, basically. Um, so that's the quickest way to, uh, to find yourself being micromanaged by the bosses is by you not owning up to the fact that I should know it, but I don't. Let me go find that out. I'll get right back to you. And and again, you see that that all comes down to ego and humility. Um, there's things that I I have I've forgotten more than I've learned. Um, and my bosses would come to me and say, "Hey, you know, what what are we going to do about this?" And I, and I would just like, I don't even remember what policy that's under. You know, you have to give me a minute to figure that out. Or yeah, I've called my bosses before, and and, and I I said, "Hey, look, I'm running into this issue. What do we do about this?" And for I remember. As, as plain as day, it was about eight years ago. This was, you know, my next line supervisor who I would go to for answers. You know, and I said, hey, chief, uh, you know, this this problem just happened. What are we going to do about this? And he says, Dave, that's a really good question. I don't know for the life of me, but let me call you back. I respected that more than anything in the world as opposed to him right. saying, well, you should know that. You go look it up type of deal. Right. Um, so I, I respected him for that. I said, we can't know everything. But we need to make sure that if we don't know something, we admit to it and we go find out the answer. Yeah, this kind of ties back into something that you mentioned earlier as well. Like how how many minutes or seconds did it take for someone to shoot from the hip and say something incorrect versus how long does it take for that person to recover or that person's leader to recover their trust in them? Exactly. And, and, and it, it, might, it may only take one time. Uh, for you to just totally come out of left field with some answer if it isn't right. And, uh, you know, the, the boss is like, well, that, that's not even close to being right. You know, I know that for a fact. And, and uh, this guy, he, uh, he clearly doesn't know what he's talking about. And, you know, he's trying to throw his bullshit on me. And here you go. Now you've lost that trust. You know, leadership is all about building relationships. And you've just kind of ruined that particular relationship. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, when I was a junior in my career, uh, you know, there was some leaders that I just didn't really respect because of their actions and everything. And uh, although for the most part, I've had really great leaders throughout my career. Let me just say that. But, uh, you know, there were a few and I would even go to the point of like, I wonder if uh, what he's telling me is even true. Let me ask him a question. I already knew the answer to the question. Uh, and the, the response to it, you know, not being truthful is just you just lose all credibility to even your junior sailors or subordinates who, who are whomever, uh, it, you know, it by not answering that truthfully and uh, admitting that, you know, I, I, I uh, instead of admitting that you don't know the answer, you know. Yeah. And I tell people it's OK not to know just as long as you know how to go get the answer. Um, right. It's, it's the same thing as, like we said earlier, it's okay to make a mistake. That's how we learn, as long as we keep it as a teaching moment. And what I tell my guys is like, it, it's okay to make a mistake. We'll recover from it. 
once we figured out what the mistake is, we figure out what the solution is, we move forward. I said, if you keep making the same mistake, I'm going to think something's wrong with you. I might have to hit you in the head. But, uh, you know, providing that we use everything as a teaching moment, um, providing it's not a life or death, you know, mistake. But, uh, sure. you know, the little things that, that happen, you know, were – you know, in the fire department, you know, you didn't lay out or you didn't put the right hose on the ground or you didn't pull up to the front of the building or you failed to mention something that we're supposed to do when we give an on-scene report. It's okay. We'll talk about it later, you know. I'm not going to berate you in front of everybody, but I'll pull it. Hey, man, a couple things to think about. Um, we need to make sure that we do this, this, and this. So next time, we'll have it nailed down, no problem, and we move on. That's the other thing is, is that you can't carry a grudge either. Um, a lot of people, if I get mad at somebody, I say my piece, you know, I obviously I'll hear their mm -hmm. side. I say my piece. And then as far as I'm concerned, it's done. We've talked about it. It's over. Um, if they stay mad at me for being mad at them well, that's on them, there's nothing I can do about it, but I don't hold a grudge. Um, I may bring it up later on as a, as a goofing point, you know, it's like, oh, here's so-and-so you're going to not put your gear on again, you know, just goofing around, but I don't hold grudges. And I don't think most, uh, managers or leaders should hold a grudge. If you, highlight or you know pinpoint an issue you talk about it you get it over with and you move on you shouldn't hold a grudge on somebody in my opinion no i agree absolutely you know the the next piece uh i wanted to get into i know we're uh getting kind of far into this podcast but yep. um this this next piece is something that uh I, i've learned from experience but also was uh emphasized more in my degree actually uh some of the, the stuff i'll talk about but is never stop learning yourself. You have to, as a leader, you can't forget that you still need to progress yourself. Uh, you know, I had this one person tell me the saying once, which is, uh, it goes, uh, what is it? Uh, sometimes you just need a fish, but don't settle for a fish if you can be taught how to fish. Uh, you need to constantly be investing yourself uh, into becoming a better version of you, into a better version of a leader that you want to be. Uh, one of the things that you know I actually have to do with my uh, my degree right now is every single course that I take I have to journal and I have to create this and you know, maintain this leadership journal. And at first it was kind of like, well, I mean, come on, really have to journal in this class? Uh, but the journal has to be specific on like, okay, during the course of this week, what were your leadership challenges? How did you react to them? Uh, what was good? What was bad? What would you do different next time? And man, I, I was surprised as, you know, you put pen to paper, what actually comes out, uh, and the ability to self-reflect off of that. Uh, there was a, a study that we read in class about, uh, it was, I think, a top, you know, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies were, uh, you know, what makes them a good leader. And one of the consistent things that kept on coming up was every single one of them always journaled. Uh, having that self-reflection piece about, uh, yeah, this is how I can improve. This is how I can get better. Uh, being critical on the things that you did uh, so you can build upon it and become better because of it uh, instead of, you know, uh, recreating the wheel uh, and not learning from it and keep on making the same mistakes over and over again. Taking those lessons learned from instances that were challenging as a leader uh, and using that towards your advantage and putting that, you know, those tools in your toolbox so when it happens again – you can, you know, easily reflect back on, okay, uh, I, I processed this. I understand what I did wrong last time. Uh, now this time, this is how I'm going to take this on. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's almost like taking care of yourself. You know, a lot of people, I think, uh, forget to do that when you're in a position of leadership. Uh, I always say you can't, you can't take care of others if you aren't taking care of yourself. Yeah. I, we, uh, <clears throat> We look at that as like a, as a critical thinking skill uh, to be able to in, in the fire service. We call it, you know we put that in a Rolodex and, and uh, for the young people that listen to that, Google it. You'll figure it out. But um, what we that's what we do is is you know we look at our decision making models and and we roll up on the scene of a call and we can right away flip through a Rolodex. Have I been have I seen this situation before? If it's yes, how did I handle that situation? I handled it this way. Did it work? No. What did work? This worked. Okay. So we kind of go back to that, that Rolodex and it gives you that framework. Uh, same thing with that journaling is, is uh, hey, this is what I did today. This is an issue that I came up with. This is how I saw that problem. How would I make it better the next time? And you write all that down. So the next time that happens, you don't have to go back and refer to your physical notes. It'll be stored away in the back of, of your mind. So right. um, it makes you a better critical thinking thinker. And, and it's funny because I'm 
currently back in school myself, changed my major, and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, going through organizational leadership as well. I'm, I'm working on my bachelor's degree for organizational leadership, and, and I had to read the critical thinking and the creative thinking books, and, and uh, a little dry, but uh, it was some stuff in there that, uh, you know, it's like, hey, you know what, I'm already doing that. Um, so the journaling thing, and I wish, and I, I was thinking about this the other day, I wish when I first started at the age of 18, I actually started a journal of what I did each day or each week or each pay period so I could go back and take a look at it, see how I've grown, what mm-hmm. I've learned, and what I, you know I can continue to do in the future. And when you talked about training, um, it's one of the things that, I, that I've told people. I said, the day that you feel that you don't need to train anymore is the day you need to hang it up and retire. Um, a buddy of mine, Tony Chicarico, tells tell me all the time. You know, your skills are perishable, and if you don't keep them fresh, they go bad. And right. uh, you have to train on not only the basic stuff, but also keep up with the new stuff as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was re- like I said, I was really surprised. Uh, you know, because when they first assigned that, I'm like, oh, I mean, I don't want to journal every week. Come on. But when you put pen to paper and actually start evaluating. Uh, what you know? What happened in this uh, situation, scenario, whatever? Uh, wow, I was I was really surprised as to what came from that. Uh, it, it's a great tool, and like I said, that came from a study where you know they interviewed a whole bunch of successful Fortune 500 CEO CEOs, and you know that was a commonality amongst all of them. And that's a good way to learn to learn from your mistakes is to actually jot them down and uh, what worked, what didn't work, and 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 again when when we come into a situation that's like that or similar, we, we can uh, we can act quicker on it and, and uh, kind of avoid the pitfalls that, that we had had before. Yeah. You know, uh, you mentioned uh, a couple of books. There's one book that uh, we had to read for our class, and I, I always have to put a plug for this because I, I loved it. It was a great thing, a great book. Uh, the author was Warren Bennis, and it was called um, uh, On Becoming a Leader. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a list in there, and I actually have this printed out, uh, and I have it at work. It's called Manager versus Leader, and there's probably like I don't know 15 things on there. Uh, manager versus Leader. Uh, some of them, you know, I have a couple notes here on some of them. One says, you know, a manager does things right, the leader does the right thing. The manager asks how and when, the leader asks what and why. The manager relies on control, the leader inspires trust. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a great book, and I highly recommend it. Yeah, I like it when when guys come on the show and they plug books, and and you know we you get on our social media, and somebody's like, oh, I, you know, I read this good this book, it was good. Uh, somebody put down, uh, they said for twenty twenty, you know, they, I'm not a reader, but I did read these books, and I sent them a message. I said, you know, believe it or not, you know, in twenty twenty, I read, uh, I want to say I read eight books paper wise. And I listened on Audible to three, and uh, that's the most I've ever read. But it's when you find a topic that's that's uh, interest not only interests you but also um, is kind of reflects on what you do on your job. You can gain so much. And I find myself uh, I don't journal pen and paper. I journal on my phone where I can just uh, if I see something or hear something or read something I can you know, put that quote right into my phone and I can go back to that. And I like sending those out to when I put my daily lineup out to my guys, just some things to think about. And, um, there's a lot of really good leadership books out there. Believe it or not, a lot of them, um, that I've read are are all military based because I think that the military has had so much time invested in soldiers and war and things like that, uh, these life or death decisions that need to be made, that there's just so many books that are out there. And, and one of the things that you and I talked about not too long ago, uh, a few days ago, was that, uh, you know, what you learn in, you know, in Maryland is the same thing, the same thing that that sailor or soldier is learning in Japan, that they're learning in Germany, because it's all one book where the fire service is just many, many uh, different books. A lot of it can be subjective, but uh, that's where I think we get a lot of this. I pull a lot of this leadership stuff out, read about how it was in the military, and then how do, how can I kind of shape that into what we do in the fire service? And the similarities are awesome, and it's really exciting to be able to read that and say, we do that. Um, one of the guys that I had on this podcast last year, um, he's a retired uh, Navy SEAL, Jason Gardner, and he works for a company called Echelon Front. And they talk about um, 
uh, how they do their command and how they break their command down and how they give each person uh, different parts of, of the command. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to him talk. He was in Harrah County and I kind of chuckled and I told, I talked to him afterwards. I said, you know, and I think they call it decentralized command. I said, we do that every day. And he says, well, what do you mean? I said, the moment the tones go off and we go on a fire and I get on the scene and I've got 50 guys that are working and I start breaking them down in small groups and say, okay, you're this division and you're responsible for everything over there. So I have 50 guys on the fire ground that all have radios. But if I make, you know, two groups and two divisions, and I'm only talking to four people and it keeps my span of control really low. So reading about what you guys are doing and how it kind of plays into what we do uh, in the fire service, I, I find it really fascinating. So what's your, uh, what's your go-to book? What's your number one recommendation? Um, well, I've read a whole bunch. I obviously, uh, you know, for, for someone, uh, when I started off with, I, I read, it starts with why, um, which I recommend to everybody read that book. It uh, talks about how to get to what your why is and, and why things are done. Um, there was a book, uh, it's your ship. I think that's one of the main uh, leadership books that everybody has to read. Um, which was a, a, a Navy book. I can't even remember the name of the guy that, that, uh, that wrote the book. Um, I read, um, team of teams. Um, I'm looking through my, my list right now. Fortitude by Dan Crenshaw. That was a really good book. Um, right now I'm reading the leadership challenge, uh, by Barry, uh, Pusner and, uh, and, uh, James, um, uh, can't remember what his last name is. And, and uh, my friend's going to kill me because that's one of the books that she recommended. Um, and, uh, what else? Um, get ready to start um, the Harvard Business Review um, must reads on ten must reads on leadership. Um, what else did I read? Worst to first, which was about the uh, I think it was uh, United Airlines or whatever. How the uh, the guy took over and went from the worst uh, airline to the best airline. Uh, a lot of good leadership stuff in there. Uh, all of Jocko Willink's books, you know, extreme ownership and um, um, strategy, leadership strategies and tactics. Um, uh, shoot, there's a handful of others. Um, right now, I'm, with, I'm, with, I'm uh, actually listening start- to About Face by uh, from uh, David Hackworth, Colonel David Hackworth, just to see what's in there uh, that I can pull out of that. A lot of stories, World War II and Korean stories. With uh, starts with why? Do you remember who the author is on that? Simon Sinek, I believe. That's who Sinek? I thought. Have you? Uh, he has some phenomenal. Uh, videos on YouTube about leadership. Yeah, I've seen his TED talks. Uh, they're pretty good. They are really good. They're great. Yeah, he's he. Uh, I, I tell everybody to to read that. I've actually got a library started in the battalion office, and I've told all my guys come in anytime, grab a book. I said just make sure you bring it back when you're done reading it. Um, and I've really gotten into Audible, so now when I'm driving around, I can listen to books as I'm driving. So uh, yeah, I, I tell people I said read a lot. Um, you can get a lot of stuff from the business world, from the military. Um, I haven't read a lot of fire department leadership books. Um, and then uh, listen to you know credible people that are talking out there and, and what they have to offer uh, when it comes to leadership. And uh, there's some good stuff out there. What would you recommend? What are some of the stuff that you recommended? Yeah, I really like um, the um – on Becoming a Leader by Warren Bennis. That was a great one. Mm-hmm. I have uh, actually extreme ownership on my bookshelf right now. Uh, I read that one recently. Um, yeah, those are the two that I can see off the top of my head. I have to go back. We've we've done so much over the, the program. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll bring some more for you later. Yeah, even The Dichotomy of Leadership uh, was a really good book. The good thing about those particular books um, is that it breaks it down in simple terms so you can really understand um, some of the uh, the books that uh, a friend of mine who's working on her PhD in, in uh, leadership, she uh, she recommended a bunch of books. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously they're very uh, cerebral, you know, uh, books that you would read in, in the, the master's or the PhD program. But there's a lot of good stuff in there because they've got over 30 years of leadership research under their belt of things that they uh, they can bring out. And, uh, you know, some of it goes over my head, but some of it's actually, you know, kind of hits right on target. And, uh, you know, so I'm looking forward to moving forward in, in my uh, education. You know, I'm winding down in my career, but uh, looking forward into my education of, of just 
something that's not fire department related, but this this whole leadership and, and uh, where we have a lack of it and, and what can I do instead of complaining about it? What can I do to uh, make myself better and then pass that on, uh, you know, the secession uh, planning stuff uh, to pass on what I've learned to the people that are coming in behind me? Yeah, absolutely. So anything else you want to talk about before we wrap it up? Uh, that's That's pretty much my list. But uh, I definitely appreciate you being on. You know, I know you said like, oh, what are we going to talk about for an hour? And I told you <laughs> it'll go by pretty fast and we're already yeah, at the one hour mark. So yeah, um, it went by fast. But uh, there's there's just a ton of stuff out there. And I tell people, you know, go out there and just read something, learn something, go take a class, get out of your comfort zone. Uh, that's the good thing is is uh, when you get out of your comfort zone, you might find that, that uh, hey, you know what, this I actually kind of like this and might kind of deviate you somewhere else and then try to see where it fits in with, with uh, what you do for a living and, and uh, you know, see if you can make changes, you know, local changes. And then if it works out, you know, you bring more people on board and then it kind of expands. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So, but, uh, Clay, I appreciate you being on here. And before we go, I, w- I want to plug, do one thing that I want to plug. You uh, you have your side business, and I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, sure. yeah. You, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to say you make pens, but uh, writing you, instruments, but uh, I'm going to allow you to kind of elaborate on that. And the reason why I want to bring that up is I know you, you took my son uh, under your wing and you allowed him to, to turn, a, turn a pen on your lathe and he made me a really nice pen for Father's Day and I use it at work all the time. So uh, go ahead and, and I want you to plug uh, your company and what you do and uh, how they can find you. Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, so uh, it's called 1893 Woodcrafts. Uh, so my buddy and I, uh, probably three, four years ago, we started, uh, this company, you know, I was always, uh, into woodworking and whatnot, but, uh, we got into the, anything to do with a lathe. So I started doing some pin work. And so the company right now has really grown a lot, but what we kind of concentrate on is, uh, making, you know, ballpoint rollerball fountain pins, whatever, from different types of styles out of historic wood from all over the, uh, actually all over the world. So we have a lot of different, uh, like military ships, for example, uh, the USS Constellation, the Constitution up in um, Boston, USS Missouri Battleship, like the ship that they actually surrendered, Japan surrendered World War II on. We make pins out of that, some of the teak from that from that ship. Uh, do you, we actually have stuff right now from the USS Enterprise uh, and you know historic American sites. Like uh, we just actually made one from wood that was uh taken out of the white house in in the late 1920s they did a a renovation uh and we have wood um certified from that renovation that we made a pen out of or uh whether it's you know if you're in bourbon or whiskey or whatever anything to do with alcohol that goes in a barrel uh we have uh, pens made out of barrel uh, staves so if it's pappy van winkle or or jack daniels we have that uh, historic sites from all over the world. We actually have some pieces from Windsor Castle uh, in the UK or even the HMS Warrior, which is kind of like their uh, USS Constitution, if you will. Uh, you know, It's just all over the place. Uh, stuff from movies, uh, wood from uh, sets from Harry Potter. And it's just really cool. So we have a lot of fun in it. We, we, we have a lot of great contacts all, uh, all over the place that are able to, uh, we're able to get this wood from. And, uh, you know, Instead of this wood going to waste somewhere, we're, we're able to turn it into something uh, that people can use on a daily basis uh, and kind of preserve that history. Uh, we have a blast doing it. Uh, we actually – this was supposed to be our very first year at the Maryland Renaissance Festival as a permanent vendor. But yeah. because of COVID, yeah. you know, we, we got accepted. Last year we were a temporary uh, vendor. We did really well there, uh, and then we applied to be a permanent vendor. We got accepted, but then after you do that, you have to buy a building. We found a building that happened to be really – worked out really well for us, and we got so excited about it, and uh, then COVID happened. So uh, <laughs> you can uh, hopefully this year – we'll see, but hopefully this year you can find us uh, at the Maryland Renaissance Festival. Otherwise, uh, we're online at www.1893woodcrafts.com. Yeah, I know you guys were working your butt off uh, for the uh, the um, 
the uh, uh, Renaissance Festival because I remember, you know, I'd, when I'd walk in the dog, I'd go by and look at you, you know, I know you had, I think you were trying to make some ungodly number. I want to say 800. I'm probably, uh, probably wasn't the number, but I know it's not it, was, far off. it was a lot of pins. And I mean, you guys were busting your butts and then they, they pulled the carpet out from under you. But I mean, you can still buy these pins. And, and I bought one for my dad who was, uh, and uh, he was a tin can sailor in, in Vietnam. And I bought him a pen, and I believe it was from, I think it was from the Constellation, whatever one's in, in the harbor, at, yeah, uh, at the Inner Harbor, at the Inner Harbor. Yeah. And uh, you turned that pen for me and put it all together with the nice Navy anchor and all that, and, and I gave that to him. Um, and, and just so everybody knows that the, the prominence comes with this. You have the, the letters of authenticity and all that stuff, so you're not, oh, yeah. you know, you're not pulling the wool out uh, or pulling the carpet out from under anybody. These are authentic wood, genuine, the genuine article, and, and I tell everybody... Uh, that's listening to this, go get yourself a nice pen. You're wearing a uniform anyway. Most of the firefighters are listening to this. Go get yourself a nice pen set. Um, look these we guys up. Have a, uh, we actually have a fireman-themed uh, pen, too. There you go. So you didn't have that before. Yeah, but, we have uh, it now. Yeah, and, and I know uh, that uh, you know you can go get a nice pen set so uh, you guys can yeah. uh, sport something that's unique, something that's uh, one of a kind, um, and, and, uh, wear that on your uniform with pride. So, uh, you can find them. Yeah. I know you're on Instagram, uh, Facebook as well Instagram, as Instagram, Facebook, our website has everything, but our online, actual online stores on Etsy. We also do a lot of custom things too. We had a really cool, uh, opportunity recently where, uh, it was a couple's one year anniversary and the wife came to us and said, Hey, my husband proposed to me under this tree. If I get a branch from that tree, can you make a fountain pen out of it for us? And so she uh, brought us a a branch of that tree. Uh, we cut it down. Uh, we put it on the lathe. We made a pin out of it. And uh, she, I think, I'm pretty sure she won the gift exchange for the first year anniversary. Awesome. And I tell anybody that's listening to that, uh, this is 100% legit. The uh, these pen, his his workshop is his entire garage. He does not park his cars in his garage. His workshop is is amazing. And uh, you know, I just like popping by and, and watching you work, but try not to bother you too much. But uh, <laughs> I do uh, appreciate you uh, allowing my son to make that pen. And yeah, that was a lot of fun. I love it. So uh, again, Clay, thanks a lot for being on the show. And um, 1893 woodwork woodcrafts. Woodcrafts, plural. 1893 Woodcrafts. 1893 came from the uh, Naval Heritage. So uh, 1893 was the year that the United States Navy established the rank of a chief petty officer. So that's that's where we get our name from. There you go. So again, Clay, thanks a lot for being on here and and helping me kind of get that leadership word out there, especially from from the military aspect. And and, uh, I think a lot of people will be able to peek into this and see that, uh, you know, not only does it work you know, what's working in the military. It also leaks over into, you know, police and fire, any public service, as well as, you know, if you're a boss in a, in a Fortune 500 company, um, a multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar company, uh, nobody wants to work for a jackass. They want to work for somebody who they can relate with. So again, Clay, it's thank true. you very much for being on here. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, all right. Take care of yourself. You too. Bye. Bye.